we're good? Okay. Uh, so, uh, if you would, take your Bible and, and flip to Philippians chapter 3 with me. That's really going to be a springboard of where, where we're going to go uh, moving forward. We're not going to spend a lot of time in Philippians chapter 3, actually. We're going to be bouncing around uh, kind of all over the place. And we're going to be talking about something that if you've been here in the last month, well, you should kind of already be used to. Uh, and which is funny, I'm talking to Steve last Friday about this sermon that I'm doing, and we're talking about the topic of suffering. Uh, and really, okay, we all get to suffering, and we go, God, why me? Uh, we all ask that question. And if you've been here in the last month, uh, Justin's already done two sermons on suffering, which is funny how God works, that uh, God was already laying the groundwork for this sermon about two months ago before Justin ever got to those sermons. Uh, so it makes you beg God the question, okay, God, you're the one who puts all of these things together. Why are you choosing right now at this time, and you have a purpose for everything, why are you choosing for this congregation to hear about suffering, suffering, suffering? Makes you move a little in your seat going, okay, God, you know the future, we don't. What do you've got coming? Why are you trying to teach us this? Are you trying to prepare us uh, for something? Um, you know, and it's what we do. We just allow the allow the Lord to do His work, right? So, so if you're in Philippians chapter three, we're we're going to be in a quite a famous verse, and we're going to springboard from here. Philippians chapter three, verse ten. It says that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. And we're really going to focus on this part that I've got highlighted here of the whole fellowship of his sufferings it's something we are called to do as christians to join hand in hand with jesus christ in the sufferings that he lived because we all know i mean we just sung about this the sufferings that christ did on the cross that's his sufferings right and we're not just called to bask in oh great here's what god did for me in his sufferings no god called you to actually suffer with him join hand in hand in fellowship it's the same word in first peter chapter four thirteen, where he says talking about partaking in the sufferings of christ now let me ask a question when you read this in your daily bible reading because I, I to me philippians is my favorite book i've ever read in my life it's such a awesome book and you get to realize that paul while his life is going through the ringer has probably the most positive attitude you could possibly find in scripture in this book and we go to this verse in chapter 3 and verse 10, and we go, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And we all want to bask in the fact of praise God for the power of his resurrection. All of us who are saved, we have experienced that power of his resurrection. And we'll praise God for that. But how much do you actually praise him about the next part where it goes, and the fellowship of his sufferings? Because we hear about that whole suffering deal, and let me ask a question for you, because if you've ever heard me teach Sunday school or anything, I just ask questions 24-7. It's kind of how I study. I just go, well, God, let me ask that question. I just ask them questions 24-7, right? So let's be honest. Who here rejoices in the fact that you're called to fellowship in the sufferings? And let's be serious, not, not any of us. Most of us don't. I mean, I won't speak for you. I definitely will speak for me. I know my own daily life. I don't rejoice in the fact that when my life just hits rock bottom, I go, oh, praise God for it. I'm not saying praise God for the fact that, God, you're going to deliver, or God, you've delivered out of sufferings. I'm talking about praising God. Thank you for the suffering. Thank you for putting me in this place right now where my life is absolute turmoil. I'll praise you not through it. I'll praise you for it. Can you actually say that? 
Because we thank God, we live our lives, and we'll never say this to God. We'll never say it with our mouths, but our lives speak as if God is our genie in the bottle to just go, oh yeah, uh, God, thanks for the blessing, thanks for the power of the resurrection. Uh, I'll just, I'll come to you and get what I need from you, and then from there on, God, I got this. You, you just bless me, right? We will never agree with this statement. We, and you've heard the statement that, hey, come to Jesus, he'll make your life better. We, we live in a very uh, rightly dividing church here that has been built here on the foundation of the word of God. And we all know biblically that statement is nothing but false. Not a single place in the Bible does it say, come to Jesus, he'll make your life better. It says, come to Jesus, fellowship and his sufferings. But yet we may know that biblically and we may know that knowledge wise, but when we live our daily lives, we keep living as if the fact, oh, well, I should have blessing. I should be blessed by God because I'm a Christian, right? Why do I have to suffer, especially as a follower of Christ? I should have kind of more of an end with them. Hey, God, I'm following you. That should mean I get more blessings than everybody else, right? That's not at all right. Uh, and, and we know biblically that isn't true, but let me ask you, even if you say, well, I don't say that and I don't think that, uh, let me give you an example. When your life goes through the ringer and hard times come and you actually partake of the sufferings, what's your first thing that you do? You joy in it? You rejoice in it? Let me tell you what I do and what I think a lot of us do. You probably get on your knees and go, God, I need you. Take this away. Because I do it all the time. Uh, we're going to talk about this here in a little bit. Uh, you want to see me do that? Just get me sick. One bit. Just get me, you get me a head cold. You get me, especially the flu. I don't care what it is. I have back problems. Like if I even have a little back problem, I'm going, oh, God, please just take this away. This isn't good. He's called you to fellowship in his sufferings, but the second we fellowship, we go, oh, God, take it away. That's not biblical at all. So, so the question is, what do we do? Instead of allowing him to have his work, we keep running from it, which is actually, let's be honest, that's just a lack of faith. That's a lack of faith of going, God, I actually don't trust you to deliver me through these and actually don't trust you to have your work through this. So what are we going to actually do? When he calls us to fellowship in his sufferings, we've got to ask the question, Okay, God, why? Why do you want us to partake in your sufferings? What's the purpose behind it all? And that's the first thing we're going to look at, is we're going to look at, number one, the purpose of our suffering. Uh, this is really the why. Uh, why does God allow us as Christians to suffer? Now, you've seen Justin in the past few weeks go, and he's gone through it in, a, in an angle of like, hey, it builds your faith, it builds your patience, and praise God, it absolutely does. Uh, and we'll we'll uh, kind of see that a little bit. Uh, and then he's, he's kind of counseled us on how to deal with it now we're about to see from god's vantage point of what god's actually telling you your suffering's going through and how to have the right attitude and we'll get to that later but we find out scripturally that the entire purpose god has you go through the fellowship of his sufferings is actually to bring you to the abundant christian life uh this whole deal of hey come to jesus he'll make your life better no come to jesus he'll give you life but it wasn't a life for you to run around and go on my blessed assurance, praise God, he's given me everything I want, now I can live in comfort. And that's how I really know I'm right with God, because he's blessed me. Does God bless us? Absolutely. But don't think for a second that if somebody's got, oh, my life's just comfortable. Is that really the sign of a true Christian? Is that really how we gauge who's godly? Is how comfortable their life is? Paul had nowhere near a comfortable life as we do, but yet I can promise you at the judgment seat, I don't know about you, I'm not even close to that guy. And he called himself uh, the least of all saints. If he's the least, then what does that make me? Right? 
He didn't, Christ didn't come to give you a life for your enjoyment. He came to give you a life of abundance. We see this in John chapter 10, verse 10. It says, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. And this is why Jesus has come. He says, I am come that they might have life. He has given us, given us life and that they might have life more abundantly. Now, let me ask you the question, what's the abundance? Abundance of what? Abundance of comfort, abundance of material riches, abundance of blessings of, oh, God's given us whatever, Right? That is not actually what the abundant Christian life is all about. It's not about you having some life that you want. It's all about spiritual richness in Christ. Uh, we see this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God of our Father, our, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings. That's the blessings he came to give you. That's the abundant life and riches that he came to give you. Uh, not some comfortable life to where we just get whatever we want, right? Look at Paul's life, and we're going to look at Paul a lot today, because if you want to model for who we need to follow, I mean, Paul literally tells the churches, hey, follow me as I follow Christ. He's one of the greatest role models we could ever have. And he knew, yeah, the reason I suffer, it isn't so I can be rich monetarily. It isn't the reason that my life isn't so I can have some comfortable life. It's all about so I can grow closer to the Lord and his righteousness and have this ultimate abundant relationship with him in this spiritual richness right so he desires for you and i to live that fulfilled life but it had nothing to do with your comfort and in fact you don't actually get that abundant life by living comfortably and here's the reason why i can know this uh, go check out paul's life go check out our life who's more godly paul who had more comfort us there's a correlation there it's actually funny because it's suffering that is actually what brings you to the place of spiritual wealth. And this isn't just pulled out of a hat. God talks about this in a plethora. And you want to apply this to us. We live in a time that characterized by the Laodicean church period in Revelation chapter 3 when God goes through church history before it ever happened. And we live in this time period of Laodicea. And he says in verse 17 of chapter 3, you think you're rich. And you want to know why we think we're rich? Because we've been blessed with all this comfortable blessing and all these material things. And we think God somewhat is pleased with us because he's given us all these things. But what's funny is he looks at us and goes, you're wretched, you're poor, you're miserable, you're blind, and you're naked. So what has he called us to do because of that? We think we're rich because we have everything, but yet we're spiritually poor. Look at verse 18 of Revelation chapter 3. It says, I counsel thee. This is Jesus talking. Hey, Laodicea, you want to actually be rich in me? You want to actually get rid of that spiritually poor state you're in? He goes, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. Hold on. We, get, we, gotta, buy, we gotta get some gold tried in the fire that, that we're rich, right? So we're not rich, but if you actually go back to chapter 2 and you look at the Smyrna church period, Christ looks at them and goes, yeah, I know you're in poverty, but he puts something in parentheses and goes, but thou art rich. How are they rich? Smyrna means bitterness and death. They were one of the most persecuted church periods in all of church history in the last 2,000 years, but yet they were spiritually rich, whereas us in Laodicea, when was the last time we were persecuted like they were? If at ever. And yet they were rich, we weren't. So what is Jesus counseling us to buy? Gold tried in the fire. And you want to know what that is? It's suffering. It is the trial of your faith. It's the same thing that 1 Peter 1, 7 is talking about, where he says that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, 
might be found unto praise and honor and the glory at the appearing of, of Jesus Christ. He has given us this great counsel to go Laodicea, Cali Harbin, who we are spiritually poor compared to the rest of church history. He goes, you want to actually be rich in me? You want to actually have my spiritual abundant life and be brought into the wealthy place? Suffer. Try your faith in the fire. Tell me, how much stronger is your faith when life's going awful versus when life's good and comfortable? Because I know, I think we could all say this, when my life's going well, why do I need God? God bless me, I got this handled. Whether you say that or not, we all do it. Um, because it, it's funny. We say a lot of things with our mouths that we do, but yet we don't live accordingly. And, and this is what God is calling us to do right here. So he's, he's calling us to get to that spiritual abundance place, and it's going to come through suffering, right? That's the entire reason he allows us to suffer is because he wants to bring you to the spiritual abundant life, right? Uh, Psalms chapter 66, verse 10, and, 10 through 12 actually sums this up really well. It says, for thou, O God, hast proved us, thou hast tried us as silver is tried. You think that sounds a lot like 1 Peter 1, 7? You think that sounds a lot like what he counseled us to buy in Revelation chapter 3, verse 18 for us in Laodicea? He's counseled us to be tried, right? Thou broughtest us into the net, thou laidst affliction upon our loins. You want to know what's really funny about this? You want to know who caused, who allowed you to suffer? Now, God, okay, we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. God is not the author of your suffering. He allows messengers of Satan to buffet you as Paul went through. But God allowed it, just like he did in Psalm 66, 11. He allowed it. Thou waste affliction upon our loins. God, you've allowed us to suffer. For what purpose? Well, we've been talking about to bring you into spiritual wealthness, right? Thou hast caused men to ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. But here's what he's doing through all of that suffering. Here's what he's doing through all the afflictions and the trials he's bringing you through. But thou broughtest us out into a wealthy place. It's that wealthy, spiritual, abundant life that he wants to bring you through, right? And we see this in that spiritual abundant life. And one thing I want to go into before we keep moving is, is that spiritual abundant life is characterized by a lot of things. And one of those things is righteousness. And we see that righteousness is actually one of these spiritual blessings that's much more valuable than anything tangible you can grab on this earth monetarily or whatever you could grab in comfort or this life that you could build for yourself. Proverbs 16.8 says, Better was, is a little with righteousness than great revenues without right. And if you wanted to sum up Smyrna, that church period, versus Laodicea, that's your verse. Better is a little their poverty with righteousness, their spiritual abundance, their richness in the Lord, then great revenues, we think we're rich in Laodicea, without righteousness. You're never actually going to have that righteousness flow through you without suffering. How do we get it? How do we get that, that rich? How do we get the righteousness? That's what Philippians chapter 3 is leading it up to, to verse 10. You get... You get down to verse 3, uh, all the way down to verse 8, and Paul's going, hey, if any man trusts in the flesh, 
I more. And he's about to tell you, you don't have righteousness. Not that you aren't just positionally righteousness. You can't have righteousness in your daily life by what you do. Your good works don't give you righteousness even after you're saved. He goes, uh, a Pharisee, a Pharisee, as touching the law, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Uh, He did all these things for the law, all these good works, but they didn't make him righteous. So how are we supposed to be righteous? How are we supposed to have the spiritual wealth of righteousness? He gets to Philippians 3, 9 after telling you, you can't do it by good works. Here's how you do it. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Okay, we get that righteousness by faith. Now he's about to tell you in verse 10, what's, you think that colon's there for a reason. He's about to list that purpose. Hey, here's how you get that righteousness by faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings. You're going to know him more intimately. How do we know him more intimately? Through the power of his resurrection. And you want to know what a resurrection requires? You can't be resurrected if, one, you're not already dead. And second off, you want to know how you die? Suffering. That whole entire deal, all of what God is doing through this, the entire purpose he allows suffering in your life, is to bring you that spiritual abundant life, what he came to give you. So when we ask God, why are you allowing me to go through the suffering? It's what I want to give you. That's what I wanted to give you anyway. And here's the thing. Your life is but a vapor on this planet. If he calls you to suffer for that much, for this much glory in eternity, you're telling me you're not willing to do that. You'd rather have all these comforts here and then be absolutely poor at the judgment seat? That's... That's quite a foolish trade. It really is. That we value our comfort more than godly living. Uh, fellowship and his sufferings is what allows you to go and live that righteous life. Romans chapter 8 tells us your flesh and God are at enmity. You can't do the one and the other. Uh, Jesus says no man can serve two masters. Tell me this. Can you live godly and live comfortably as well? And I'm talking comfort as in like this life that we live. That, oh God... We don't need to go through suffering. I got this. Godly living comes from fellowship and his sufferings. Fleshly living comes from a life of comfortable uh, life without suffering, right? That's why when life bottoms out, that's why we run to God. And when life's comfortable, we run away from God. So, but even knowing the purpose, even knowing the purpose, we've heard for two weeks from Justin and now one point from me of, you know the purpose of why you suffer. But let me ask you right now, you may know the purpose. Can you still walk outside that door right now and go, praise God, I'm suffering? No. At least I can't. Because I've been studying this all week, and I can promise you right now, if I walked out of that door right now with just that, I'd go, God, why are you allowing this? I know it's for the spiritual life, but which one do I want more? Uh, Our attitude towards suffering is actually the exact opposite of of the biblical attitude towards suffering. So in order to have that suffering actually work the abundant life, you're never going to have it unless you have the right attitude while enduring it. Uh, and, and we're going to go into this, number two, the attitude uh, of suffering. So we're going to look at this whole deal of the attitude, and let's be honest, I've, I mentioned this before, I'm just setting the stage again. Even if you have fellowship in his suffering, and you've suffered as a Christian, we're not talking suffering for your sin. If you suffer for your sin, you deserved every bit of it. Sorry. We're talking suffering as a Christian, what, what God talked about in First Peter of suffering wrongfully. The fellowship of Christ's sufferings. You want to know why Christ suffered? 
he didn't do anything wrong. When you suffer and you didn't do anything wrong, that's suffering as a Christian. You suffering because either you wronged somebody or you committed a sin, that's not what we're talking about. So you can have got biblical attitude towards that all day long. It doesn't matter. You deserved it. We're talking about suffering when you don't deserve it. So how do you have that biblical attitude? Because uh, when you look at guys like Paul, you look at guys like Peter, you look at the guys like the apostles, what about Job? Do you have the same attitude when you suffer as Job did? Job goes, praise the Lord. Lord giveth, Lord uh, taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And you can say that right now. And you can go, yeah, praise the Lord. I could say the same thing. Yeah, lose all your kids, lose all your wealth, lose your house. Your, your wife runs away, lose everything you have, lose your health. And then have good friends sit around you and honestly rip on you until it was your fault, even though you know you did nothing wrong. You telling me, oh, praise God for it. No, you'd probably go, oh, dear God, either kill me or get me out. Or, or like, just, just make it somehow so we can get out of this situation. Uh, the biblical attitude towards suffering is rejoicing in it. And not just rejoicing in it, actually welcoming in it and being ready for it. Uh, we see this in, 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 with Paul in the book of Philippians. Paul, if you know anything about the book of Philippians, Paul actually was suffering as a Christian. He was accused wrongfully and thrown in jail. So he's thrown in prison, and this prison wasn't like nowadays prisons. These, these aren't comfortable deals with nice deals. They're over in dungeons, pretty much. And instead of complaining about his bonds, because Paul, you actually read about in Philippians chapter 1, he mentions the word bonds four times. But you want to know what he also speaks of in the book? He speaks of rejoicing or rejoice or a form of the word rejoicing 12 times. He uses the word joy six times. Let me ask you, in your bonds in life, whenever God allows you to suffer, is the first thing you think of of joy and rejoicing? It's actually one of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. So when actually you suffer and you don't have joy in it, you're just thinking of it from a fleshly standpoint and not a spiritual standpoint, right? Well, how did he do that? How did he have that, that joy in all of that, right? Well, he had the right mindset. He, he shows you that in the book of Philippians as well. The word mind shows up 10 times in the book of Philippians. We're only talking four chapters, and he shows up 10 times. The word think shows up five times, and the word remember shows up one time as well. It, he's teaching us how to have the attitude and the mindset that leads us to having the right attitude of suffering, right? Uh, but we struggle with suffering because, well, our mindset wasn't like Paul's, right? And let, let's just look at, let's look at the attitude of Paul. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4, it says, Great is my boldness of speech towards you. Great is my glorying of you. I am filled with comfort. I am exceeding joyful in all our tribulations. Let me ask you, your life goes wrong, you're not just joyful. Paul says he was exceeding joyful. He's overflowing with joy. Let me ask you, in your life, let's say in the past year, because I don't know if you've had joy in the past week. I mean, you should. We're all saved. We should have joy at least about that. When was the last time you overflowed with joy? And then go look at that and tell me what circumstance it was under. It was probably under a good one. You ever, you ever been joyful and even more exceeding in joy during suffering? That's Paul's attitude. Is that your attitude? Let's look at Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. We all know verse 7. Every single one of us knows verse 7. Hey, that the trial of your faith be more precious than gold that 
perisheth, right? But what about verse 6? Talking about the trial of your faith, talking about sufferings. He goes, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. You're going to rejoice through that? Do you do that? What about 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 and 13? And we, we mentioned 13 earlier, and we'll, we'll talk about this. But it says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as some th- strange thing happened unto you, which is literally God going, hey, don't freak out when sufferings come. They're going to come, and I've already ordained you to go through them. But you get to verse 13, it says, But rejoice, inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering. So when he tells you in Philippians chapter 3, 10, Hey, fellowship in the sufferings of Christ, you're not just supposed to fellowship. You're supposed to fellowship with joy. So even if you have fellowship in the sufferings of Christ before, can you say you've done it with joy? So how can we have the same attitude? If you want to look at the most biblical sign of somebody who's walking close with the Lord, it isn't in any other way except James chapter 1 and verse 2. James 1, 2, it says, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers' temptation. That word divers is the same word where we get our word diverse. A diversity of temptations, a diversity of sufferings and trials and pain and anguish. And the Bible tells us we live face to face. So we should expect, hey, when you get done with one trial, just get ready that another one's coming. But can you count it all joy when you fall into any of those? If not all of them. The reason the apostles understood the suffering they were going through and rejoiced in it is because they understood the question we asked earlier, why me? God, why me? Why why do you allow me to suffer? And I get it, I'm supposed to rejoice, but how can I suffer if I don't understand why? You'll actually rejoice in suffering if you understand why God allows you to go through it. And I'm not talking about the purpose. We're going to go into some more stuff here in a little bit. So why me? How can I have the same attitude? And God gives us three key reasons in Scripture on why we can have the same attitude when it comes to suffering. And number one, number three on my outline, is it's looking at the obligation of suffering, right? So so why me, God? Why do you allow me to suffer? And the key point we're going to focus on in here is because he's your Lord. We're going to go to scripture and we're going to show this, but you want to know why he allows you to suffer? Because you don't call the shots. You don't get a choice. Now, does he allow us free will? Absolutely. But if he called you to suffer for the cause of Christ right now, you think God needs your input? One of the, one of the greatest stories that I've ever heard in church history is a guy by the name of David Brainerd. And David Brainerd was a, was a missionary in the early days of, of this country, right before the revolution. And he was a missionary out to the Native Americans. He died at 29 years old. He traveled 3,000 miles on horseback, slept in cold, rainy woods, all while battling tuberculosis to give those people the gospel of Christ. You want to know why he was able to do it? Because it wasn't his life to decide what happened to it. He, there was a quote that, that I don't have on here. But he pretty much goes, who am I to go back and see friends and have a comfortable life? My life's not my own. It's God's. He's my Lord, right? We're obligated to share the sufferings because we don't, God doesn't owe us anything. 
Because if we're not obligated to share the sufferings, let's be honest, God owes a lot of people an apology. Because if you and I are promised, oh no, Laodicea, you aren't, you aren't, you don't need to suffer. You're not obligated to that. Well, what about those guys in Smyrna? What about the guys in Thyatira and Sardis in the Dark Ages? What about the early church who got butchered for the cause of Christ? Either he owes them an apology, or we're not actually living to the fullness of what the Christian life is all about. This whole deal is about lordship, right? We see this in Philippians 3.8, just two verses before we got to our verse in Philippians 3.10. It says, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. He suffered the loss for who? Christ Jesus, my Lord. And if you just believe the Bible... Proverbs chapter 30 verse 5 says every word of God is pure and that means every single and you've heard this before every punctuation every comma every colon every word every phrase is not out of place God has it there for a reason so why did the Holy Spirit inspire Paul to go hey I suffer for Christ Jesus and not just Christ Jesus Christ Jesus my Lord the first time we see uh, this mention of the word Lord uh, in, in this form, now you see Lord in, in some other forms, but in this form that you see in, uh, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, it's a big deal, and it kind of gives us some more insight to this whole deal of lordship and why God allows us to suffer. And we see it in Genesis 18, 3, and this is when, you know, the story of the three guys, the, the Godhead shows up to, to Abraham. And it said, and, and this is Abraham talking, uh, and he said, my Lord, and that's the same word that Paul's using in Philippians 3, 8. He says, my Lord, if I have found, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee from thy servant. The first time you see this whole deal of Lord, he recognizes himself as servant, which means we say, hey, Jesus, my Lord and Savior. Well, if he's your Lord, you want to know what that makes you? It makes you a servant and servants. There is two characteristics mainly of a servant in the Bible. Servants don't own anything, and servants are supposed to be available for their master's usage. They don't call the shots. Uh, Paul, in, uh, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1, he says, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ. Uh, we're called to be ministers. It's the same word that you've heard. It's the same word as under rower. Uh, you think an under rower down in the ship gets to call which direction the ship sheared? Uh, the, the ship is steered? That didn't sound English because it wasn't. The, the ship is steered. I'm still having trouble getting it out. The under rower doesn't decide that. The captain up top does. Hey, we're going this way. Y'all start going. Okay, let's just do the work. That's what our lives are to God. You don't decide, oh, well, God, I'm going to do this for you and Hey, you call me to suffer? Yeah, I don't feel like doing that. Oh, well. Have he called you to it? We could just give the simple answer to, God, why me? Why not you? He, he owns you. There's the reason Paul in Acts chapter 20, verse 24 says, I count not my life dear unto myself. Uh, why does he not count his life dear unto himself? Because his life wasn't his. And he was willing to go, God, however you want to use my life, you use it because my life is not mine. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20. He says, for ye are bought with a price. Verse 19 actually ends with going, ye are not your own. It's not your life to decide. Ye are not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. All that you have. Here's what happened at salvation. 
you wanted the blessing that Christ had to offer, fine. You got to trade it in. You got to trade what you've got, which is this wretched, miserable life. And you're telling me that you would still rather call the shots than have eternal life? None of us would say that, but we live like it, right? He's called us to suffer because he's your Lord. And as a servant, you're to allow him to use your life however he pleases. He's our master, right? That's the Paul attitude. Uh, that's the attitude that Paul had about it. And that's how we can have the same joyous attitude about suffering. You're going, this life isn't mine. So if my God and my Lord and my master wants to use my life for his glory, I'm willing to do it because of what he's done for me and who he is. He's my Lord, right? Uh, the reason we don't like suffering is because you want to know what Laodicea means? It means right to the people. And we think, oh, God, you owe me something. And God, yeah, I know I turned in that old man, but guess what? God, I don't want to have you on the throne. I want to be just like you, which is actually, you want to know who that comes from? Satan in, in Isaiah 14, I want to be like the most high. Who are we to think, oh, God, let me call some shots too. It's not your life anyway. So when he calls you to suffer, you do it with joy because going, it's your life. Use it as you please, right? Uh, John chapter 15, verse 20 says, remember the word I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, right? He calls the shots and we're to be humble, obedient servants and allow him to use us for his purposes. That's Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Hey God, can you take the thorn away from me? Nope. Why? Because I'm using it to show my strength and your weakness. And then you get to verse 10 and Paul goes, Praise God that I, that I suffer in infirmities and distresses for Christ's sake. Why? Because he's my Lord and my life is his, right? And that's the whole deal of why we're allowed to suffer is because Christ, our, Christ is our Lord. He is the one who calls the shots, right? So that's how we can joy in our suffering is because Christ is our Lord. And then, second, er, and then fourthly, secondly on our three-point outline, is the call to suffer, right? Now, silence a lot similar, but I'm going in a different direction. This one's pretty quick, so don't worry. You ain't got to kill me. So we're called to suffer, right? We can understand God allows us to suffer and why he allows you to suffer if you just look at what he did for you. We just said no servant's greater than his master, right? Well, if he's our master, what did he do for you? He suffered the most insurmountable dealing of suffering. You go to Psalms chapter 22, which is just a insanely incredible accurate depiction of the cross it's almost as if god goes hey david i want you to write a psalm about the worst suffering you could possibly imagine and whatever that is that's what my son's going to go through for you and if he was willing to go through it for you don't you think he's called us to go through it for him we're called to be christians that's that's the title we have you know what christian actually means it means little christ follow after christ do as his steps did uh, You've heard this example before, and I used to do this with, as a kid. My dad, more than me, because he grew up around snow. Of As a kid, you start stepping in snow, you'll sink yourself. You just go into your dad's footsteps, right? That's what we're called to do as Christians. Our Father, Jesus Christ, hey, he took the footsteps down the path of suffering. You want to know what we're supposed to do? Just match them. Don't create your own path. Go down the same path he did, because he did it for us, right? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, it says, For hereunto were ye called... Here's the calling for our suffering, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. And here's the thing. 
He suffered, bef- he suffered for you. And you want to know why he suffered for you? We sang about it two or three times a day. Because of his great love for you. You talk about a love that is so immense. The Father sent his only son. The only son got off of the throne, took off the crown of glory, and had a crown of thorns smote with a reed into his head because he loved you so much, and not in your best state. He loved you so much that you were a sinner, and Christ died for you. He became sin for you because of his love for you. And you want to know what he's calling us to do when he says, hey, fellowship in my sufferings? All he's asking is, do you even love me enough to even share a little bit of my sufferings? I love you so much to die for you when, guess what? I didn't have to. You and I, we all deserve the punishment we should have got. But he loved you so much he took it away. And all he's asking is, do you even love me even a smidge of what I love you to suffer for me? Because when we tell God, God, I don't want to suffer for you, you're actually telling him, I just don't love you like you love me. Which is funny. Is it awful? And yes, I'm going somewhere. We love our kids to death. I'm not a dad, but I understand fatherhood. I have a father. I understand what he did for me. I'm not a parent. But those of you you who are parents, you're going to understand this really well. You love your kid enough to suffer for them, right? You love them so much you would be butchered to keep them all right because you love them so much. But isn't it a little messed up that you'd suffer for your kid who you love, but you wouldn't suffer for the God who took your sins away? Sorry, I know you love your kids. They didn't take your sins away. They didn't die your death. They didn't keep you out of hell. They didn't, keep, they didn't give you an eternal relationship with the Father. And what's really funny is Matthew 10, verse 37, Jesus comes along, he says, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter, your kids, more than me is not worthy of me. And all Jesus is saying is going, you suffer for your children, but not for me. All you're telling me is you love them more than me. And if that's the case, you're not worthy of me. Which is funny. If you can suffer for your kids and not Christ, you want to know what God's telling you? You make a lousy disciple. That's just the truth of the matter. We can understand our suffering and why we go through it because it's our opportunity to show Christ how much we absolutely love him. So when he calls you to suffer wrongfully, guess what? All he's going is, hey, I did it for you. You can do it for me because you love me, right? So lastly, we're going to look at the reason for suffering. This sounds a lot like the purpose, but it isn't. Uh, The purpose is the why. Why does God allow you to go through it? Get to the abundant spiritual life. The reason is God's working through it. The The reasons for our suffering is what God is doing through your suffering. God does not allow anything for just no reason. He has a plan through everything. And here's one thing that we need to realize. When we're suffering, you need to realize one thing about the Christian life. It isn't about you. You're not the center of attention. I know us, as when we're lost and we're when, when we're living fleshly, we go, yeah, God, but it's my life. No, it isn't. Not anymore. You've learned that. You're bought with a price, which means this life isn't about you, which means if he allows you to suffer for his purposes, you joy in it. 
going is for your reasons, not mine. Let your will be done. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane goes, not my will, but thine be done, O Lord. Knowing he was about to go to the cross because he realized, I'm going to suffer for his will, not mine. Uh, and we see this uh, we see this in three things. And the question is that, that I had, had wrote down was, Paul was in prison while he's in Philippians, right? And he used that prison as a mission field. Uh, Acts chapter 16, Philippian jailer. Uh, he used every single suffering he had for the work of Christ. My question is, what are you using your prison? What are you using your sufferings of this life for? And we use them for three things if we actually use them properly. And number one, or letter A, is his glory. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 20, Paul comes along and he says, According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now Christ also, now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Paul's literally going, God, if you want to kill me or if you want to take me through the ringer but keep me alive, I'm willing to do it because you're glorified through it. Here's the reason how you can have the greatest attitude and rejoice through the suffering. Because, God, I'm doing it for you. I'm doing it so you can get magnified. You do realize the entire purpose of your existence is glorifying and magnifying and worshiping him. And when he allows you to suffer, you're just doing what you were made to do, giving him glory, right? First uh, Peter chapter 4, verse 14, it says, If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye. Why am I happy? But on your part, he's glorified. You're telling me that you rather have a comfortable life than God be glorified? That just tells you where your priorities are. That you value you more than you value God. Which one do you value more, right? Uh, secondly, quickly, uh, is the body. And, and I'm talking the body of Christ. He allows us to suffer because sometimes your suffering isn't actually for you at all. You're going to go through some things in life that you're never going to know why God allowed you to go through it until maybe 10, 15, 20 years down the road, somebody else in the body of Christ is going through something just like you went through, and you're able to go, wow, God, you taught me through this. I'm just going to use my example and my testimony and give it to them and help them out. It's not always about you, right? You can use it to exhort them, right? Think about this. Uh, the, uh, how much Im more impactful was a testimony during the church ages that got suffered and, and, and got butchered for the cause of Christ than, than ours? We live our lives not really with the power of Christ on us because, well, we don't suffer. It's for the body. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 says, Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind, the afflict, behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. The Philippians, you actually read in chapter 1, they're more competent to speak the gospel. Why? Because of Paul's bond. They actually go, hey, Paul's suffering, and he's still speaking the word. You want to know what that's going to do to me? It's going to challenge me to go speak the word. You see, you see people suffer and take it as a Christian, it's more encouraging to do it ourselves, right? And then lastly, this is the last thing we're going to look at real quickly, is the gospel. In the darkest days of your life, you want to know what we're called to do? Let your, let your light shine before men. The gospel actually went out so much in those days when the church was getting persecuted. God says he added unto the church daily. During the Ephesus and Smyrna church periods were under the ten Roman persecutions. The church grew. You want to know why? Because how much more impactful is it 
for a lost guy to go, that guy just died for the cause of Christ and he wouldn't recant on the belief in Christ. I don't know what that's all about. I better go figure out. Versus ours, which is, hey, come to Jesus. Do you live any different than me? No, not really, but just come to Jesus. Come to church on Sundays and, well, do your deal. Which one's more powerful of the gospel? Really, it, it, that suffering actually furthers the gospel, right? What is more valuable to you? It's really the honest question. Do you value your comfort more or do you value human souls more? Because that's where you're really going to figure out where your priorities are. And if you're ever going to joy through tribulation, you're going to realize that human souls are a lot more valuable than your own comfortable life. That's how we know we're living godly is when we can prioritize them over ourselves right philippians chapter 1 verse 12 it says but i would ye should understand brethren that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel and paul knew i'm going through this because god wants me to go through it so his gospel can reach the ends of the earth and lastly what about epaphroditus epaphroditus is this guy who he was extorting the philippian church really an elder in that church and he's sick nigh unto death you read about in the verses approaching this and it says because for the work of christ he was nigh unto death not regarding his life to supply your lack of service to me and my question is this as as i'm almost done are you an epaphroditus can you say the same thing and go i'm willing to not regard regard my life at all i don't care about the comforts lord i don't care about whatever my life needs to have God, I just want to do your work, what you've called me to do. And I'll rejoice in the sufferings and the fact that God is furthering your gospel and I'm doing your purposes, right? So God calls us to fellowship and his sufferings to be brought to that spiritual abundant place. And his desire is for us to be willing and joyous to do it. And my question is, are you willing actually to suffer for the cause of Christ knowing why he allows it? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I... I thank you for the day that you've given us. I thank you for the opportunity to come and hear your word, Lord. God, we have lived our lives in such a comfortable state that you've blessed us with. But, but Lord, you've called us to have our faith tried. You've called us to suffer for your sake. And God, I pray that we would get off the throne of our lives and, and we would stop thinking that we call the shots. And God, that we would know that our life is yours. And the God, that we loved you enough, and if we would love you enough to suffer for your sake as you once suffered for us, God, I, God, I pray that if there be any here that, that don't know you, Lord, God, I pray that they would love to have that life that you came to give, God. And God, I thank you for your word. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen.